Podcasting from Nashville Guitar Store in the heart of Music City, USA. Bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. Sharing tales of their history, discussing guitars, their gear, their work, what's on tap for the future, and delivering wisdom we'll all appreciate. Your host is Marcia Ware Wilder, nationally recognized radio personality, singer, actor, and author. Well, Gordon Kennedy is our guest today, and uh, suffice it to say, one of the most prolific guitarists, singers, songwriters. He is most noted for his work with the Christian band Whiteheart, um, but then he was part of what I call the world's smallest supergroup, Dogs of Peace. Because I think I know you got other guys in the band, but for me, it's just you and Jimmy Lee, another potential podcast oh, guest. We'll get Jimmy to, Lee for you. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, Gordon, thank you so much. I, I just, I mean, we've got only got a few moments, but hey, let's just work down this resume. Garth Brooks, Ricky Skaggs, Amy Grant, Twyla Paris, Susan Ashton, Stephen Curtis Chapman, PFR. Um, then there was Change the World, which won, let's see if I get this right, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Eric, Eric Clapton. Clapton. Yeah. And I remember the night y'all won. And Wayne raising the flag for the songwriters of Nashville, Nashville Tennessee. I right. was just now. What's really funny? I'm such a goober. I was watching this, and he's like, "I want to give a shout out to the the writers from Nashville, Tennessee." And I'm like, "Yeah!" And I'm thinking, "Dude, I just moved here two months ago." Yeah, that was only the second time in 39 year history of the Grammys that it, the song of the year had come from Nashville. What was 39. the other? Wind beneath my wings. Stop it. That's, those were the only two songs up to that point, and I don't know if. If any have happened since. Oh, that's crazy. I and didn't. I'm, I'll I mean, tell you. 21 years ago now that we were there. I know. I, I try not so to. So hopefully another Nashville song has appeared. Yes. I'm sure between Taylor Swift and Leanne Rimes, there's something that's <laughs> happened. But uh, hey, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be a part of the uh, podcast. This is a real honor. My pleasure. Well, here at NashvilleGuitarStore.com, as I adjust my seat here. <laughs> We like to start, we rewind all the way to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, I know for the most part you've lived in Nashville, but you were born in Louisiana? Shreveport. Shreveport. Mm -hmm. My husband's from Baton Rouge. Oh, well, you know, that's where Wayne grew up, speaking of Wayne Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's what we thought we had in common when we started working together in the early 90s. But, yeah, so, uh, but as a one-year-old, moved to Nashville, brought my parents with me. I think that that was very considerate of you. a wise move. No, that's what, you know, brought us to Nashville was the music business. Uh, A man named Shelby Singleton had talked to my dad, and he was another Shreveport uh, guy. Talked to my dad, if you want to, you know, go where it's going to happen, you know, you need to come to Nashville. So he talked my dad into moving March of uh, 61, Mm -hmm. and... Dad gave it, now this is according to my dad, what he's told me, uh, all of a good two weeks before he decided things weren't, they just, the things weren't showing up on the, on, with the phone calls for sessions right, or whatever. It right, wasn't right. happening fast enough. And so that coupled with missing home, he decided, let's go back home. And they'd made the decision to do that when the following day, Shelby Singleton came back from a trip to Chicago where he had uh, been given a, a Nashville office for Mercury Records, which is based in Chicago. Okay. So they said they were going to open an office. Shelby, you're going to run it. And then he offered my dad to be the number two guy at the yeah. label. So that was dad's $70 a week job. And it had we had moved into a house that we were renting for $75 a month. Okay. Which 
this the craziest story happened several years ago. In a nutshell, I had been going to a guy named Jeff Sin, who repairs guitars and builds guitars, mm-hmm. to restore an old Fender guitar to its original, you know, finish and everything. Right, right. And all the while, no idea, and he didn't know either that that was the first house I moved into when we moved to Tennessee, over, up, up off Thompson Lane on uh, Hartford Drive. That is way so cool. So I had gone back to my first home in Tennessee without knowing it, you that's know, so. walking through the halls. and Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. That's so, crazy cool. But yeah. that's what, so that's what brought my dad to town. Um, the advent of Mercury Records opening an office, he would subsequently become the head of Mercury Records mm-hmm. and then run it for 21 years. Oh, wow. So... But that's what brought us to Nashville. Yeah. So you and so your dad, but your you've got a brother. Two two brothers, Brian and Shelby. They are both in the industry as well. Yeah. They. Yeah. Um, Brian writes. Brian he writes, and but also just got finished doing the three year long tour, sort of as Garth Brooks's right hand guy, not necessarily road manager because they weren't on the road technically. Yeah. They would go hole up in a city for you know ten twelve days or uh-huh. whatever and stay there and then the next city at some point and then go there and live Mm -hmm. so he wasn't really you know doing the road manager Mm -hmm. typical stuff but he was just the day-to-day affairs you know on the the shows for garth and writes songs he's written a bunch of songs for garth yeah some number ones and love me some garth american honky-tonk bar association yeah yeah uh cowboy cadillac and i think maybe there's like nine nine or ten songs that He's managed to get cut by Garth. And and then my youngest brother, Shelby, uh, has really kind of been on the business side more Mm -hmm. um, all his life. But he did write a couple of songs that Mm -hmm. were placed. Uh, One was a number one song for Reba McIntyre called I'm a Survivor, which became the theme song for her TV show. And then he also had a duet before that that was recorded by Janie Freaky and Ray Charles. So Uh those are his two uh, songs he's had recorded. If you can only, you know, have two, that's the way to go that is i'm yeah. telling you i'm with you um, and he runs tune core now the nashville office for tune core now oh my gosh yeah so okay. that's that's what um brothers are doing that's okay okay well let's let's focus on you and uh it's just always cool to have that 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 familiar that support system around you like as you're well, coming up I, I don't know that you have come across this or not necessarily but my mom sang and she was, in fact, my wife has not missed an episode of the TV show Nashville. And I walked through the house the other day where she was watching that, and my, something caught my ear. The, ma- the background music, which was pretty prevalent in yeah. the scene where this cast member was having therapy on mm-hmm. in the scene. And they were playing this song in the background. I told my wife, I said, rewind that. It sounds like my mother's voice. She backed it up, and Whoa. I said, I don't know this song. I got my phone out, Shazam. No result. I'm like, dang, I know that sounds like mom. And then I went to YouTube and typed in. I said, well, the, su- the title of the song must be Don't Bother Me because that's what she keeps singing. Right. So I typed Don't Bother Me, Linda, and it spelled out Brandon, and it was my Love mom. it. So that's the second TV show, one of her records. And I called my dad. I said, "Are you? do you remember this title? He said, yeah, she was probably about 15 Love when it. she did that. So she was more R&B. Okay. Um, that kind of music, you know, like I, I always think about you know getting in dad's car growing up it would be ray charles and the country and western hits or yeah. it might be little richard or fats domino right uh or the, some of the stuff he was producing with jerry lee lewis and roger miller but you get in mom's car it was junior walking all stars otis oh Redding, yeah aretha yeah. sam and Dave. yeah 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 so that was motown you know, muscle so, shoals oh, yeah, all so that I got, that's yeah. you know the diet 
of music that so I you're was pretty yeah I was on. gonna say that's so you're pretty balanced pretty so nice that's bookends, yeah, yeah that's really really cool are you um are you self-taught yes how long did that take it's let's see how old am I now it's still taking how okay gotcha no, I, it, I mean I, but, I understand well, you know a lot of people would assume that my dad taught me what my dad did do for me was provide the instruments mm-hmm. and the freedom well, what was your first guitar? Well, me and my brother Brian each received the proverbial silver tone, you know, guitar yes. for Christmas when I think Brian, he, he was too little to put the guitar back in the case. <laughs> he was two and I was four. And I was going to say, Brian could actually I fit just, in the guitar case. <laughs> I had actually just turned five. Okay. And so those guitars, you know, I don't even know what happened to them. And then we, maybe I'm in about the third grade or something, and we got these guitars that were called Decca, and they were mm-hmm. acoustic guitars, and those had no cases and just went into the closet with the G.I. Joes right, and right. Major Matt Masons, and and <laughs> they just got trampled after a while. But then my dad gave me a Fender Telecaster when I was 15 for Ooh, Christmas. So and that, got, that's like sitting at the big kid's table. Well, and that changed my life. Yeah. That, there was no turning back for me at that point. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere that uh, you were a standout athlete in high school. <laughs> Like, like not just basketball, although because you're quite tall, so basketball makes sense. Of course, well, I'm five I'm one, so everybody's quite tall well, to me. Marcia, so, <laughs> I've, I've been on stage with you. You're the tallest person in the room, right? Um, that, that's only personality. No, well, yeah, but that's, that, that counts for a lot. That counts for a lot. But okay, so I mean, there, you know, you've got your your you dreams of being a maybe being a baller, being a football star, being some sort of athlete. But then you've got this this Fender Telecaster that your dad's given you and you're loving yeah. just find noodling around and finding things to do. When did you realize, okay, athletics isn't going to work. I'm thinking it's going to be music or was it always that way? It was no. I mean, I went to Brentwood Academy. So, and I played on their first state championship football team. And what was your position? I, I was, I was a wide receiver. I played tailback for a few minutes. I was the place kicker and defensive end on defense. And we played both sides of the ball. I love it. So, um, it was and that and basketball and track. Yeah. That, you know, football, basketball, track. Six straight years that I went to school there, that's mm-hmm. what I did. And, yeah. and I was squeezing the guitar stuff in in the in between all that. And always loved music. Yeah. I mean, devoured yeah. vinyl records and was blessed to live in a home where boxes of those things would show up quarterly, you know. Mm-hmm. So there would be I mean, me and my two brothers would go into that box like Soldiers getting you, you mean you didn't home, do the you know? Columbia Records Club? Well, no, where, we for were like... on Mercury Records mailing. <laughs> okay, we got <laughs> everything that Mercury put out. Okay, came to the house. So Mercury, Smash, Phillips. Yeah. Uh, there were other you know record uh, subsidiary labels that were all part of that umbrella. And you know, and there would be Bachman Turn Overdrive and Rush. Oh and, my gosh. And the Ohio Players and the yes. Barkays and all these, and then country records that would come out. And so they would all go to the three different boys' rooms and go playing at the same time, and it sounded like. A, chaos yes but so I was always that my first record player was a jukebox it was the Seaberg 100 dad had in the basement of our home in Gillettesville that spun 45 vinyl records and so that's where I sat and dreamed of doing I want to do this and and realize what music meant to me even when I was six years old or whatever just thought I want to do this because I'm while I'm sitting in front of the jukebox right behind me are a bunch of guitar cases yeah and there's an upright piano on the okay. wall there, and and all within touching distance of each other. So I was sort of surrounded by it, literally, and that's all I wanted to do yeah. from the time I can remember, and that's all I've ever done. So um, in a conversation I had, actually, 
with Peter Frampton when we were all working on the, um, was it Thank You, Mr. Churchill? It, it was the Thank You, Mr. Churchill album, and we did the track called The Invisible Man. Yes, Invisible Man. With the Motown players. Yes, that was, that, was, that was a fun day, but I remember yes. we were kind of taking a break, the singers and you and Peter Knight, and he just started talking about how he used to literally lay on the speaker to figure out how Robert White was doing uh, his guitar parts when he was like just kind of studying Motown. He just yeah. I, I remember just having that casual conversation and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here talking to Peter Frampton. Oh, yeah. And and <laughs> yeah, somebody I, I, I neglected to, you know, mention in the intro by the way, because you are you have been on the road with him on and off for a while, have you not? I've done two full band tours with yeah. him. Um, and then I've done a couple of years worth of uh, acoustic two-man shows yeah. that we've started enjoying doing in the last couple of years, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I caught it on Audience. Uh, it's I was on my I just was I saw Peter Frampton. It was like Audience the the Audience Network, and oh, okay. it was the two of you, and he was doing a, doing an acoustic show. It was really cool. Yeah. I almost I almost sent you a little note on Facebook on that. Right. But uh, I re- the reason I mentioned Peter now is just that 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 attention to detail that he had. Did you find yourself when you were in the basement listening to these records? Were you doing something similar to that? Um, when I was the youngest, you know, going back to listening to music when I was the youngest, you know, of course. When most families might have as a fondest memory, with a family memory, sitting in front of the TV watching Partridge Family or yeah. somebody, everybody can recall a show or something. Mine was the three boys, mom and dad, and a real real tape spinning that seven yeah. and a half tape and listening to whatever he had done in the studio that day with uh-huh. Roger Miller maybe or Jerry Lee Lewis and Statler Brothers and and um, just dreaming yeah. that I would get to do that someday. And he'd show me how to turn the jukebox on where yeah. I could hit the numbers, the letters and numbers. There was a toggle switch on the back of the jukebox that I could flip to turn the thing on. The lights would come on. I would shock myself on it because if I were touching any other part of the jukebox, it wasn't properly grounded. Right. But <laughs> and you're was, a great connector. <laughs> but it was also the shock of Buster Brown's Fannie Mae. Oh, man. And my dad's instrumental of Willie and the Hand Jive. And that that jukebox was stocked full of a rainbow of different styles and flavors of music. Do you still have that jukebox? It's in his basement now. Okay. Yeah. So your your parents are still with us? My, my dad is. Mom's been gone, gosh, 27 years. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. Well, she, she sitting pretty in heaven. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful lady, an angel, and just sweet is yeah. the word I would use to describe my mom. Sweet, you know. It's so um, cool to have both your parents be so passionate yeah. about, like I was saying earlier, just having the, it's like you're almost cocooned in it. Yeah. And, and it, it gives you, I mean, you, unless you really have a, like a, a hard and fast desire, I'm going to be a doctor. It's kind of hard not to go in that direction. Something familiar. Yeah. With, yeah. with, with all of that around mm-hmm. you and it being just such a, like, oh, I'm just, dad's playing with Roger Miller. I mean, who says that? I, I, I know. See, <laughs> I mean, I, who I gets to say that? That's so cool. I remember him saying one time, I think I was in the back seat of the car with my chin on the back seat between him and mom. Guess who I'm playing for tonight? Who? The king. Who's that? Ah. <laughs> I like to tell people that he sang my theme song because my nickname growing up is, well, they, some of my nieces still call me Cece, so I'm Cece Ryder. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally not yeah, kidding. Yeah. That was my nickname growing up. So I, I'll just tell everybody, Elvis sang, well, Elvis yeah. sang my theme song. That's Thank right. you. Well, you actually, um, unlike a lot of our guests who came to Nashville and then saw things happening, you were already here. You, I mean, you grew up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had a couple of really cool relationships that kind of got your foot in the door. And the first 
would be the illustrious Dan Huff. How did that yeah, see, come see, about? Dan, he came to Brentwood Academy. I was a sophomore. He was a freshman. And so any chance before up to that point that I had to teeter ever so slightly towards making athletics more of a main interest for me uh-huh. evaporated when I met him. Because, I, I mean, I remember the first day I went over to his house. Mm-hmm in his parents' basement, and he started playing the vinyl records. And, you know, remember when we were all kids and we yeah. would call our friends, come over and listen to this listen new records. Listen records, yeah, yeah come absolutely. Over and listen. The Crusaders and Larry Carlton and oh, Al Demiola. And yeah. all these. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, he's starting to feed me this this steady diet of music that I had never listened to before. Yeah. So, But it, we were just sort of at that point from then forward lighting fires under each other all the time. and. And every spare moment we got, we were, you know, learning to play songs together. Mm-hmm. And we'd sit at activity period at school, and we had 30 minutes, and we'd work up Barefoot Jerry songs or or Stevie Wonder's Contusion, of all things. Dan played that when he was in high school. And just we'd put on performances at the school and play everything from Brothers Johnson to Mickey Newberry. Wow. Bachman Turner Overdrive. To Stevie Wonder, you're pretty much kind of given the soundtrack of my childhood. Right. Seriously, well, Cause, and me too. Because I I had this little transistor radio that I mean it was like if if it came on top forty radio or if it came on Christian radio because that was because I was coming up when you know they were starting this new thing called contemporary Christian music and so my grandfather would get upset because W E E C was a um, a Moody station. And it had the uh-huh. just the the organ music, but I'd turn it to WRFD, which was like this AM sun up to sundown, and it played all contemporary Christian. I was rocking out to things like you know, Fat Baby by Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, and and and, <laughs> and uh, what was it, Andrus Blackwood and Company, Soldier of the Light. Mm. I just thought that was so. Yeah. Oh, I was I was without yeah. it. But then there was also the Main Street. My my aunts had these amazing record collections. They had. Stevie Wonder and Gino Vanelli and and I mean you name it it was yeah. just coming down like, uh, like that so um, I, I do I, I'm, you're just basically yep you're giving me my soundtrack yeah. so yeah so Dan helped you it just well, kind just, of he drew he, you out well but he also caused me to uh, get serious about it mm-hmm. up my game if you will or whatever yeah. if I was going to keep keep up with my buddy here that I you know was wanting to be in a group with and yeah. and all that stuff so he forced me to kind of make sure I stayed focused and that's cool but it was fun yeah. i never i've never felt like any of this was ever work mm-hmm. never in my life that's a but but he did make me realize there is a you can set a bar somewhere mm-hmm. and have to either go over it to keep up with him or figure out a styleful you know stylish way to do the limbo yeah and go if you're going to go <laughs> under it try to make that look good but i was going to try to keep up with him and he's yeah. such a better guitar player uh, but uh, but I mean but that's but he's also the reason why I joined Whiteheart and right. I never really joined it. I went to sub for him for three shows mm-hmm. and then quit six years later. <laughs> that's why. That's how I got in Whiteheart. <laughs> okay. But, and you know, but I mean, I met my wife because of that. That's cool. We're married thirty years now. Congratulations. You know, um, met Tommy because of Whiteheart and that was a and that was a great lineup. I love the just the history uh, to if you don't know. The history of this amazing—it's really an iconic band. They're—they're—they're 
Christian Music Hall of Fame inductees, and I think about the turnstile of artists that came through. Just the because I, I think about the the white heart of the Freedom era, which was you and Tommy, Tommy and Chris Rick, McHugh. Chris McHugh. Oh my goodness, Mark, yeah, yeah. and uh, that that versus right. the first version of White Heart. Well, yeah, which was Steve Green. Green. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, another, but I mean, look at the people that were in that band. I know I mean, they're always. Uh, I think there were seventeen total people in the band over the history of the band. Man, I'll tell you, between Scott Douglas and Rick Florian, I remember Suzanne Gaither told me that Scott had left and and um, I said, okay, you got to figure out how to get me an audition with this band. I'm going to be the first chick singer in Whiteheart. I'm going to be the first chick singer in Whiteheart. Come on. Alas, That's it did good. not come. Suzanne did not take me seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Doggone you, Suzanne. <laughs> but, wow. um, but it's very. But that was. It, it is an amazing uh, legacy and history that, that the band has and that Dan got you in there. So uh, the next person that I... Yeah, kind of skipping yeah, sure. over your history, but Ricky Skaggs. Tell oh, me about wow. your relationship with Gosh. the amazing... First time I ever saw Ricky Skaggs, my father had hired him to come sing a duet part for Reba McIntyre. Okay. I had played on this Reba stuff, you yeah. know? And so Dad has, you know, he wants to get somebody that's going to... It's not more... It's not just a harmony part. It's going to sound like a duet. Okay. So he got this guy named Ricky Skaggs, and I remember sitting there listening to him singing... And as he was leaving, my dad made the comment, get a good look at that guy now because he won't be doing this much longer. Wow. And so he, did you ever meet Keith Whitley? Because I know Ricky no, and Keith no, were tight. They were, yeah, they're from the same part of the world. Yeah. No, I never met him. That would have been, that would have been a The closest good. I ever got was Ricky Skaggs or Jimmy Lee Slos. Oh, there you go. That's where he's from too. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay. And just for, just for the record, Jimmy Lee, another guest we're going to have on this show. Yeah, I'm we'll, de- get, we'll get bound him. and determined. Yeah, and uh, he might think he's going to get a milkshake with me, but he'll. Oh, be, okay, he'll cool. Do well, that's it. fine. Yeah. You know what? That's all right. As yeah. long deception's no problem. Uh, we right. have no problem. We we believe in in like shameless promotion and a little bit of deception just to get our yeah. guests on. So it's yeah. no big deal. All right, but um, so what did you? What can you say you took away from your work with Ricky? Because you but you still kind of okay. You guys still no, cross oh, yeah. paths. Well. Um, it, you know, I will not lie to you and say that it wasn't a goal of mine or yeah. a dream, perhaps, once I was writing full-time, mm-hmm. how much I would love to have anything recorded by Ricky Skaggs. Right. Because I just held him up there Understood. at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and be it either his country music or the bluegrass music. Either way, yeah. I think that he's done it as well as it's ever been done. Yeah. So it was always just in the back of my mind, in front of my mind, I'd love to get a song recorded by Ricky Skaggs. Well, a good friend of mine named Lee Groich was engineering and, and working out at Ricky's uh, studio, and he called me one day and said, um, we, you, do you have any songs for the Hornsby Skaggs record? Well, I had just met Bruce Hornsby, forced myself to meet him, ah. <laughs> forced him to meet me as well. <laughs> Tracy and I, my wife and I, saw him at an ASCAP dinner in L.A. where the the entertainment that night was Tommy and I singing Change the World and Hornsby singing an Elton John song. Love that was it. the music for that night in, at the Pop Awards. And so I cornered him and said, how often is it that me and my wife, would, or anybody for that matter, married couple, get to meet the person that they say, you did our song? Every Little Kiss was mine and my wife's favorite song oh, off that first so cool. album. When we first were dating each other, and that was just that album, you know, it was huge. Understood. And the range. Yeah. And so yeah. I ended up putting together a CD of songs and floating them through Lee Groitz to the project. Mm-hmm. And 
And it, this was going to be a bluegrass album with Hornsby playing piano on right, it. Right, I remember that. And Hornsby looked at the CD and saw my name on it and said, well, this guy's pop, and threw the CD down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, snap. Okay. So, you know, and I'm like, uh, you know, listen to the interview Marcy is going to do on the <laughs> 15 years from now to explain everything, but it wasn't afforded that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then I ended up, uh, let's see, how did this work? I sent it to Ricky, mm-hmm. and then he played it for Bruce, who said, well, how did that guy know exactly what we were looking for? Oh, I love it. So it made it onto this record, and it was a gospel song. Gotta love it. So now, two years later... Mm-hmm. And I went and played on the Crossroads show with them. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, got to be on stage with those two guys. which was scared out of my mind. Yeah. But then a couple of years later, Lee calls me again and says, you got any songs for Ricky Skaggs' next record? Yeah. Well, you know, Marcia, if, you got, if you're a songwriter, there's only one answer to that question. Of course oh, I, I do. Got them, I got them on me. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, let me make you a CD. And I sent over another CD of about 12 songs. And I think it was the first three songs on the record that just on a lark – in my brain, I thought I was writing for the next, if it were ever going to happen, Dogs of Peace record because we yeah. hadn't done a sequel yet. This is in about 2009. Yeah. And so I'm thinking if if we ever do another record. But I thought, I'm going to put these three songs on this CD first just so Ricky can hear yeah. kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Because I know he will appreciate this. Yeah. So then a couple weeks later, Lee Groich calls me and says, I heard your CD. I love those first three songs. In fact, my son's favorite song is You'll Find God, and he makes me play it for me. Every day we get in the car, Dad, you'll find God. He said, but Ricky's, that's not what Ricky's looking for. If you don't mind, I'm going to make another CD and take, you know, and put the balance of the tunes on there and give that to him. I said, yeah, thanks so much. You know, Two months go by, and I get a call from Lee. Well, Ricky never heard the CD that I made for him, but he heard the one that you sent originally, and he wants to do the first three songs. Love it. So that was how Mosaic started. Okay. Now, I will say that the process of making that record, and Ricky and I, we've, our, we described the record as being a record that we started to work on within two weeks was one that was working on us. Okay. And for about four months, we what we witnessed just in the making of the record is a book. Yeah. A story in and of itself. And then the music. It's the most powerful project I think I've ever been a part of in my life. And some of the art, tell me some of the artists that are on that. Well, it's it's all it's, Skaggs, but his daughter all, sang a song. Yeah, Molly gonna... sang a song called "I'm Awake Now." Okay. And then we got Peter Frampton to come play a solo on "My Cup Runneth Over," and then some great studio players that you yeah. know, Mike Lawler, B3, Steve Brewster, drums, Blair Masters, keys, yeah. and uh, then we had the. Born Again Choir right. um, came and sang on My Cup Runneth Over. Um, Skip Clevenger, Pipes, and then we had uh, David Hamilton mm-hmm. come write some charts and yep. do a couple songs with some Nashville strings. Yeah, And I'm, I might be leaving somebody out. His son, uh, Luke, and a friend of his named Stephen Roach from over in okay. Carolina brought a van full of instruments from around the world. Turkish saws, hurdy gurdies, and all these different things okay, to put on. This, that's cool. And that's on the worship thing that's at the end of the record. And but one of the cool thing, another cool thing that happened was we took a trip over to see George Beverly Shea at his home in Black Mountain, North Carolina, oh. 101 years old, and just to see if he'd sing a verse of "I'd rather have Jesus 
You know, that'd be worth. So we, we sat. I, I could I could lay down. So we played guitar and he sang a verse of that, uh-huh. and then we were crying. Oh you know, yeah, and uh, choke up thinking about it now. You know, yeah, that man sitting there and what he, you know, how he served, and then we said, "Would you be so kind as to just speak the next verse?" Oh well, sure. And he spe- he spoke a verse, and I'm not sure which is the more potent oh. between two. Were we like that? Oh. Was great. And then we said, "Would you do one more thing for us before we leave? Would you?" Pretend you're the bailiff in a court of law and announce that the judge is coming in and ask the room, all rise. So the first time we hit record, he said, all rise? Like, is that what you want? (laughs) All rise? We said, well, yeah, but, you know, you got authority over the room here and who's coming in. And you're, you know, letting the people know. So, you know, and so the second time he said, all rise. Oh, like this big Canadian baritone booming voice. And then we took the, that, those snippets of, music and dialogue back to the studio and we entered into the mastering process at Georgetown and Andrew Mendelssohn. We gave him this all rise thing and said, put it between where the orchestra plays the prelude and then the gap and then the downbeat of the song. Put it in the gap. We listened to it there and then Ricky said, put it in the prelude somewhere. And I remember thinking, ah, I kind of like it in the gap, you know, but mm-hmm. he said, put it in the... So, of course, you know, we make music often these days with our eyes. Right. So Andrew just looked on the screen and dropped it somewhere. Wow. And so at the end of where the strings play this theme and, and it, it sets down with just a piano playing... All rise. Nice. The two notes. Yeah. The rhythm yeah. of what was going on. That's the first place he dropped it in there. Yeah. And of course, Ricky and I looked at each other and said, it's happening again. Yeah. Because something like that would happen every day that we were working on the record. That's my experience with uh, making music with Ricky Skaggs. But I mean, since that project, though, we've just become such close, dear friends. And he needs something, he calls me. I need something, I call him. And, That's really cool. And we show up for each other. And... Well, you you give him my love because he's he's he and oh, his he wife is anointed. Are, yes, he truly is. Yeah, an anointed man. Yeah, and humble. And the Lord just has such mm-hmm. a. It's it's just it's it's. I'm blessed to have been able to stand behind him. Yeah, you know, in some pretty significant moments, you know, to to watch him do what he does. But he's well. When the Bible said the, the scripture about a man's gifts making a place for him before kings, mm-hmm. when I read that, I think. That's music and what my gifts are Yeah, have put me in the room with Ricky Skaggs, people like that. And I was thinking... That's what that means Ricky me. Skaggs has been able to take his particular brand of bluegrass and country and perform. Oh, yeah. You know, so yeah, that's... He and I went and played at uh, Ford's Theater last year. Okay, the next time I okay, the next time I go to Washington, that's the one place I have yet to to go oh, see. You gotta I, go there. Yeah, I gotta go. It'll gotta mean, go, it'll yeah. mean a lot to you. Yeah, it will. It will. I can so we've had all these great folks that have kind of helped you pave your way. And then comes Wayne Kirkpatrick and the song. And uh, how did you connect with Wayne? Wayne, Wayne and I, I knew who he was when he was in Michael W. Smith's band mm-hmm. and I was in Whiteheart. Okay. So at certain festivals, we'd cross paths. Uh-huh. And, um, so I just knew who he was. And then I remember getting a song pitched to Whiteheart, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken, that had his name on it. That's, so that's the first time I heard one of his songs other than something Michael was doing. 
And then um, Brown Bannister, mm-hmm. who produced the Freedom album. Yep. And Tommy and Chris McHugh and I went to work for playing on some other records that he was producing. Found ourselves on a co-production thing that he was doing with Wayne with okay. Wayne for Kim Hill. Okay. So when I played on that, that's the first time I was in the room with Wayne for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And not too long after that, I would get a call from him. Do you, can you, because I had done a gut string thing mm-hmm. and had, he knew that I had my dad's Harper Valley PTA Dobro. Love it. And said, can you, would you come do uh, a gut string solo for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then before I was scheduled to show up, he said, oh, and bring the Dobro too. There might be something else. Mm-hmm. And it was for Susan Ashton's first record. I'm going to do a gut string solo and a Dobro passage and then ended up spending two weeks with just Wayne in the studio doing all the guitars for the record. And that was sort of the birth of our friendship yeah. and working relationship. And we would at some point look at each other and go, why aren't we writing together and pursue writing songs together? Yeah. And some like the, among the first three or four songs we wrote, three of them are on the Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines album, you know, and then at some point me and him and Tommy would, uh, write change the world together because we had some downtime. Okay. On one that's of those sessions. Okay. So I was going to ask where did change, who actually, whose initial baby was that? Tommy was, we were in between takes over at Omni. No, 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 no. Omni quad. Okay. Quad tracking these first four songs that, and Wayne and I were fashioning this group together. Mm hmm. Trying, we were going to go for like a pop deal and all this kind of stuff. And Tommy and Chris and me and Wayne were in the studio recording tracks for these first four songs. How did it get to Eric? Or oh, did it go to? That's did, next. I was going to say, did it get to Babyface first? No, or, here, no. I'll tell you if you want to okay. know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, and it stopped me if you want me to be brief. No, 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 brief. D- dude, you're doing great. So, okay. um, change the world is obviously one of the most easily connected songs with with your work. I would. I, I'm actually dying to know how this happens. So go. All right. <laughs> So we're just on some downtime in between takes of what we were doing at at Quad. Mm -hmm. And Tommy said, fellas, listen to this. Is this something this group could do? And he played us the beginning chord changes of Change the World, Mm -hmm. how the verse is on the song. Mm -hmm. And he even had a title, Change the World. And And I remember thinking in my head, that sounds enough like Paul McCartney that I like it, you know. Yeah. And Wayne was probably thinking, well, that sounds enough like James Taylor. I like it. Yeah. You know, Fogelberg. And then Tommy was probably in his head thinking, hope this doesn't sound too much like Stevie Wonder for these, <laughs> for these guys to like it. I yeah. mean, I'm just guessing. Yeah. But what all that to say that all of these styles are, you find it and you can connect it. This yeah. one song yeah. has is drawing from all these different pools of and has a timeless element to it. But um, so it would go dormant for a while. Then mm-hmm. Wayne would say, "Hey, can you put that on a tape?" Mm-hmm. And so Tommy would put those chord changes on a tape, and then Wayne would work on it for a while. And he wrote a chorus lyric mm-hmm. and all but one line of a second verse. Mm-hmm. It ended up being the second verse. And then went dormant again. And then I said to him one day, hey, I've got one more chance to throw some songs to the guy in New York that's had us on a developmental deal hold for a year. Okay. RCA in New York at the time. I said, Where, where's that song at now? And so Wayne forked over what he had been able to add to what Tommy had started. So I looked at it and wrote a first verse lyric 
intro changes, which became the solo changes for Clapton's record, and Wayne's missing line in the second verse. Wow. And this took a year. This was over the course of a wow. year. Wow, okay. So I drove with the finished song up to Columbus, Ohio, where Tommy was up there working on a church choir album in some guy's basement, and we sat and did the demo, all but the vocals. Mm-hmm. And so I took a two-inch tape, put it in my trunk of my Honda, mm-hmm. drove back, and I made a cassette to play it in the car mm-hmm. because I had yet to finish the lyric, actually. Okay. So now that I have a track on the way back to Nashville, and I still have this tape, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> I'm just, and you hear car, wind noise, car, and me singing over the cassette playing in the car, yeah. trying to come up with what the words are for yeah. the, verses that, the first verse that was still needing to be done. And then I got back and went to this time, Ami, B, and put the acoustic guitar and did all the vocals. And so at this point, I send it to the guy in New York because he had been saying, give me a pop hit. Give us a pop hit. We can uh-huh. get you an alternative hit out of those first four songs. Yeah. Give us a pop hit. And so it I is thought, a, it is I thought a here it hit. is. Yeah. Send it up there, and he finally gave us an answer after a year. I'm going to pass, he said. I don't hear the hit. I'm going to pass. So Is he kicking himself now? I hope not. I hope not. No, I hope not. But, I hope not, but I, I learned, <laughs> so anyway, so here's what happens next. In the uh, in December of that year, I had had been writing for in this developmental deal I was doing under the MCA umbrella. Right, mm-hmm. that thing went so sour that I can't really tell you how bad the deal went in December of that year mm-hmm. because I don't want to use any profanity. Understood on your show. completely. God, I understood <laughs> no, completely. I mean, it, it was just one of these deals where. People, certain people that were key figures in that company from the West Coast of Nashville quit. Yeah. They quit MCA. So my deal fell into the onto the desk of a guy who was not a friend to me at this time. And when he found out that we weren't going to give RCA another 90 days to develop mm-hmm. after all this time, he threatened to sue me for my advance for that, that I had written for that year, give them back the money, right? Yeah. So I got an attorney, and I was out of my deal within a week. Yeah. And the next song I wrote was Change the World. <laughs> That's the next song I wrote. Okay. They didn't get it. Okay. They didn't get it. So if they'd been nice to me at that time, they would have been the publisher on that song. So I'm without a publisher, and this is in spring of 92, and Tommy and I go up there and demo that song. Fall of 92, Doug Howard calls me on the phone. He had been in the tape copy room at Polygram when I wrote there for five of the six years I wrote there before mm-hmm. he left a year before I did to go get a law degree in D.C. Wow. Graduate of Belmont, master's at Vanderbilt. Now he's going for a law degree. He's in the tape copy room at, at Polygram Music, playing air guitar to every demo I ever brought him. And I would think, he likes my stuff. Uh-huh. He's the last guy that's going to hear it, yeah. but he likes it. You yeah, know? yeah. And so he goes and gets a law degree, and funny thing happens to him in the fall of 92 when he's on his way back. The guy from Australia that runs Polygram Worldwide calls him. He goes, are you done with it? You got your law degree? Yeah, I want you to come back and run the Nashville office. Run it. Look at God. So guess, so guess <laughs> who calls me and says, what are you doing right now? I'm coming back to run Polygram. I want you back over there because I like what you do. Yeah. So in February of 93, I signed a deal. First song I turn in. Changed the world. Can you get this to Eric Clapton? He had just done Tears in Heaven. Ah. And so if he's doing, if he likes that kind of stuff, maybe he'll like this. Well, Time they, is everything. But they got it placed on hold with Winona. 
And That's right. She did yeah, it first. She did it first. She did but first. that record took two and a half years to come out, and we were being told all the while it was going to be a single. So when the record came out in 95, late 95, she put out one, then two, then three singles that weren't ours. So we were, again, going, okay, we the guy in New York didn't sign us with that song. Winona's not going to single the song. We failed. We failed. Now what? Clapton cuts the song. So how did that happen? Tony Brown okay. has uh, he's producing the Winona record back in, you know, we're told, in, in 93. Three, yeah. He has a friend, Kathy Nelson, okay. come visit. She's, she's a pal of his. Comes from Hollywood, and you see her name as a music supervisor on Touchstone Pictures, Bruckheimer mm-hmm. smashes, mm-hmm. From, you know, blockbuster films like Con Air, Armageddon. Gotcha. Phenomenon. Okay? Yeah. So she just comes to visit Tony, and just, again, on a lark. Oh, hey, said, check out this song. I'm going to cut on Winona and played her that demo. So then she goes back to Hollywood, and I don't know how many months go by, a year or whatever, and the film Phenomenon is hers to do the music supervision for. What's that song I heard in Tony's office? And then got found the song, Robbie Robertson, who mm-hmm. was the exec producer for the soundtrack album. I guess he's the one that contacted Babyface and Clapton and put that collaboration together. Amazing. Yeah. The length of time. You actually started working on the song in what year? 91. Spring and- of April of 91 is when Tommy said, is this a song this group could work on and do? And it was released by Winona in like 94. Well, the album came out, I think, 95. Yeah. Late 95 or something. And then we were watching the singles go ticking off and they weren't yeah. ours. Yeah. And then summer of 96, I'm sitting in the studio working on a Nicole Smith record with Tommy. Wow. And he says, oh, listen, GK, by the way, we're getting another cut on Change the World. I said, really? Who? He said, Eric Clapton. Holy cow. And I remember it go back to fall of, uh, I mean, February of 93. Yeah. That's the first song I turned in to Doug and said, can you get this to Eric Clapton? Time for a quick stretch, a run around the block, a splash of cold water on your face, whatever it's going to take to get you back here because Gordon Kennedy is our guest and we still have so much more territory to cover. Gear, stories from the road, stories from the studio, and of course, another round of Take Your Pick. I am Marcia Wilder and you are at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. At NashvilleGuitarStore.com, paying full price for guitars is a thing of the past. Like dial-up internet. You'll find Epiphone, Fender, Gretsch, Ibanez, Taylor, and lots more. What you won't find is the big box store prices. Get yourself a killer guitar at a fraction of the retail price at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. NashvilleGuitarStore.com
from the CD Freedom, that is White Heart and Invitation. I am Marcia Wilder. Thank you for joining us here at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. The guitar work you just heard is courtesy of our guest for this podcast, Mr. Gordon Kennedy. Welcome to part two of our conversation with him. We're going to pick up where we left off, talking about the universal hit Change the World and the original version that was released before the Clapton version was heard. Winona's version has its own flavor, and yeah. I, because I, well, can I? Well, yeah, please come on, a little it. bit of trivia just for your show. Yay! Okay? Uh, when the original demo, it didn't go to a guitar solo, but it did do the those. My guitar is woefully out of tune. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, but so when Clapton does a solo, yeah. I'm yeah. down a half, by the way, for all you people trying to tune up. <laughs> but that, so that became the intro to his song. Mm-hmm. I had played that chord right before a bridge on the original demo, which okay. was change the world, right? And yeah. so that was Nick's from the Clapton record. It's on yeah. my own. I'm like, why did they take that out? And but by the time his record came out, I knew exactly why they took it out. Yeah. I watched Saturday Night Live some weeks or months or something before Clapton was to do the record. Or we found out after he recorded it, but in that period of time, Sting came on Saturday Night Live one night and did his new single. If I ever lose my faith. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that could have been a bit of a... That was the bridge. So those were the changes yeah. to the bridge on little turnaround thing on Change the World. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, but I mean, okay. So but but that Clapton makes put a guitar solo, which, duh. You got Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah. Give him a yeah. solo. You let him see what, the, yeah. give it to the kids. See what he can do with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. See what he's got. Yeah. So. See what he's, hack. What has he done? Yeah. Hey, but no, I just think that, you know, when I, when I think of you guys, you and Tommy and Wayne, I think about certain things in my own life as as a singer, as a musician. And if you had never, if you had just written one song, mm-hmm. what a contribution that was to pop music history and the you doors know? that it opened. And yeah, yeah. And so it's just, I, I, it's just cool to see the building blocks of your life and see, you know, how you how you literally started, you know, at the starting gate. And yeah, it took it took, took a few years. But, but, I, but I think of it as being part of my assignment in yeah, this life. And, yeah. And I've shared this with the Belmont students recently about. Um, you've probably heard this phrase before and I didn't say it somebody else said it but it hits me harder these days that God doesn't call the equipped he equips the called and so that makes sense to me yeah you know this was a calling on my life um, that I answered uh, and I can tell you the the pieces where they were being put in place going back to my grandfather who I'm named after yeah he was a deputy sheriff but he asked my dad a nine year old kid son would you like to get a guitar lesson you know you like uh, oh, that's you. <laughs> he, he said, uh, you know, probably because Dad liked Gene Autry, Roy Rogers movies, singing yeah. cowboy stuff. So as a nine-year-old kid, he took my dad to get a, his first guitar lesson. And the following Monday is when my grandfather died. Okay. So he put Dad on that path. Three days later, he left the world. Wow. So Dad's nine years old. He would have a record deal at 12 on RCA Victor. Chet was playing on his early sessions, you know. And, okay. And so Dad was kind of a natural, and then, mm-hmm. you know, he'd play on the hayride. He'd go out, and Mom and Dad would both uh, do a duet together on the hayride. Um, and then they would go and op- do some shows opening for Johnny Horton, Battle of New Orleans, Fire Dark Guns. Yeah. And, and just kept coming. Um, 
So there's all that early stuff that was going to affect my life. You know, I mean, so I, I I was surrounded by it by the time I came in the world. But the calling is something that I answered. Yeah. Even the fact that I wound up in Whiteheart. Yeah. I didn't mean to. Yeah. I didn't ask if I could be in it. I didn't audition for it. You just kind of found Dan, your way there. Well, Dan said, would yeah. you come take yeah. my place so I can go do some sessions in L.A.? I need to, you know, you, can you do these three shows? And then yeah. six years later yeah. is when I left the band. Um, so there's that calling part. And the other thing, I kind of laughed with the Belmont students. I said, and you know, another way I know that it's a calling on my life is because I get called all the time. Man. You call all the time. Yeah. And I said, but you know what I say? I say, yeah, to everything I get asked to do, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, if I can physically yeah. get there and do it, I'll answer the bell. Yeah. And so, but I've seen how God has equipped me over the years, mm-hmm. either putting instruments into my hands yeah. or having, you know, uh, Kathy Nelson show up. I mean, that's part of it's this. It's it's yeah. part of it because mm-hmm. I've seen that one song title, Open Doors. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the reason why St. Jude's mm-hmm. or, or, or Meals for Health, mm-hmm. uh, Cancer, uh, Rally for the Cure, all these different charities right. that I do over the years, right. they can use me because of that song title yeah. and get more done than if I just were somebody that can sit in the NAMM show booth and play great. You know, right. that song has made a, that kind of a big difference for me. So it's just part of how I've been equipped to answer yeah. the call. That is the song itself is mm-hmm. just one of the things here that yeah. I take out and can put in the, yeah. uh, the, you know, the thing now. So, um, to answer the call. Yeah. Well, switching gears, my darling, let's talk gear, shall we? Let's get okay. to the let's get to the nuts and bolts of what you do. I, I, are there d- nuts and bolts in these things? There no. really are. Hey, okay, so t- first of all, okay, so for our for our social media people, they can see the guitar, but for our podcast kids, what did you bring for us to well, Bre- this, Gordon, what did you bring for show and tell today? Well, Miss Marcia, I brought <laughs> this is my brother Brian's J forty five. It's a nineteen sixty five J forty five that he bought from Gary Chapman. Cool. I love and, Gary. Um, I've had it refretted for Brian. Okay. Wink, nod. Um, <laughs> I mean, it needed it, and we've had to do a little, make sure the bridge was staying on the top of the body. But that is uh, a great studio guitar. Yeah. Won't ever put any kind of electronics and stuff on there. But um, just when I know to play in the room. Right. Or if there's a mic or something. So what is your go-to guitar when it comes to, like, you? Actually, let me back up because I'm getting ahead of myself. Um Let's imagine if we're in a boat, and the boat is sinking, and you can only save one guitar. Oh. Which one of your guitars well, would you save? Well, it would be a solid-body guitar, because you can use that as an oar. Or, the others, I know you're going to say The that. others, the semi-hollow hollow bodies will fill up with water. No, I mean, I, I would say my father's 1961 ES-335, just because of the history of what uh, the records that he played uh-huh. with that guitar. Um, Pretty Woman. Okay. Stand By Your Man. Good Luck Charm. Wow. Um, Blonde on Blonde. Really? Yeah. Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. Yeah. Ringo's second solo album, Bukus of Blues. On and on and on. On and on and on. Oh, my word. I've been hearing, I've been going back and listening to things I know I heard when I was a kid, but listening to them again. Charlie Rich. Yeah. Write this title down. Charlie Rich. Life's little ups and downs. Listen to that, and that's him I playing. am writing that. That's out. my dad, and as Charlie, he wrote the song, playing the piano and singing. 
uh, it'll give you chills that that song and the performance. I love. But I mean, there, there there's so many records. So that that guitar was very precious, mm-hmm. and I've been using it since 1988. Do you write with it too? You know, I write usually with acoustic guitars. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, but I mean, I've used that on a slew, and Peter's played it on the Mosaic album. Wow. He said, "I hope I was hoping you'd bring this one you know, when I showed up with that for you to use." But I mean, I use it on Jewel Records and uh-huh. Shadezy and Faith Hill and oh gosh, a Little Big Town. First three albums, I've yeah. used that guitar and Susan Ashton. I mean, all, and some White Heart record. Yeah. And, uh, so I've been using it since '88, uh, but that would be the the one that I would run from the boarding house fire. You know, yeah. Carrying. Yeah, yeah. There's some other wonderful instruments there. There's a John Sebastian. 1959 Les Paul that he used on all the Love and Spoonful records. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's seriously great. great guitar. Yeah. It's sort of a one that you measure everything else against now after playing it. Mm-hmm. Other guitar players who have played it will tell you the same thing. And then, uh, you know, I mean, I've got some wonderful, I mean, I, I say and I thank God for them, wonderful instruments. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I thank God for them every day that, they found their way into my hands because there are better players out there, and yeah. and uh, you know I'd, I'd assume players have them than collectors, but yeah, but but they're you know to me those guitars hanging on the wall, this guitar right here, you yeah. know the you know if you don't praise God, the rocks and the hills, yeah, and maybe they'll, the trees, they'll take they, care they'll, of they'll, stand, they'll stand in testament to the glory of God. But I mean, when you take one of those trees down and make this with it, yeah. You better be about that business with that thing too. So that's good. that's the way I feel about all of these all of these instruments. Well, let me ask you something. I heard um, I was uh, listening to uh, one of my favorite favorite documentaries, "Standing in the Shadows of Motown," mm-hmm. and um, James Jamerson Jr. was talking about his dad's bass. He um, we lost him a couple of years ago too, bless his heart. But his but it, he was obviously talking about his father's bass, and it's old, and he just there's just so much like dirt and that's now. Is there something to that, or is that just I mean like just the age of an instrument? I mean you're talking about your dad's guitar. Is there something to that that you just don't want to mess with, in terms of like? Well, I've heard Mike Campbell of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fame get. Like Fuss at his tech for polishing a guitar up. Yeah, you know, yeah. Don't do, don't ever do that again. Yeah, um, yeah. The older guitars they have a, a jump start on tone. Yeah. in some respects because of the aging of the wood. Yeah, even the '59 Les Paul that I have as a new guitar, there was something special about it because the wood they would have used to the wood they used to build that guitar had been cut down in the 1800s. Wow. So here we're building the guitar in 1959. Oh. But see, now you, you can get a Les Paul, and the wood might have been cut down Thursday. Yeah. Or, or, I, I mean, I, I <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. But you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. there's definitely something to old wood. Yeah. Um, even the, 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 the magnets that yeah. make up the pickups, you know, yeah. and the, you know, they might get weaker over time. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen over the last few decades or so where pickup manufacturers have, you know, produce these pickups that are overwound and hotter and mm-hmm. make the amps distort faster because it's the, it's the rush rush to distort yes. world for the decades now. Yes, yes. But the one, the guitars that have the sweetest tone yeah. are the pickups that are wound a little weaker. Yeah. And I've, you know, we've gone and measured the pickup outputs on a bunch of guitars that that I have and and the the one that's the loudest, believe it or not, and this is a, a freaky thing, but that Sebastian Les Paul, the pickups measure 7.8 
six or whatever. Wow. Whereas, you know, you might pick up another one behind it, it might be 8.3, but that yeah. Sebastian guitar sounds so much louder. And, wow. But it's a clear it's yeah. a clear thing, too. So, yeah, p- components drift in amplifiers and mm-hmm. pick up magnets and all that kind of stuff matters. I mean, everything from the tip to the, to the bottom of the guitar, yeah. you know, it matters. Mm-hmm. And it's either all working together to do something, yeah. or maybe 90% of it is, and there's one thing in there that's working against the end result, but it, it matters. Everything matters. Core setup, like your stage setup. What is, are you a gearhead? Do you? Um, well, in some ways I am. Uh-huh. Um, I appreciate certain genres of mm-hmm. amps and, and guitars. Of course, I love Gibsons and Fenders and old ones. Yeah. Um, but I've seen the Gibson shop. Yeah. make a replica of that Sebastian Les Paul and rose to the challenge and made a new guitar three years ago that it's pretty amazing. Okay. But they, so when they put their minds to it and go for the materials and where they have to go in the world to do that, Fiji for the mahogany and yeah. Eastern Hard Rock Maple, I mean, there's painstaking efforts to reproduce that old guitar. That's, yeah. I mean, to say we're going to make a replica of a 59 Les Paul, it's kind of like, yeah. for the most part, yeah. I would have said, yeah, let, let me know how that goes. But they really did something quite remarkable. Um, so I, I've seen them do something with a new guitar, mm-hmm. which is encouraging. A lot of Gibsons being made in Memphis uh, with uh, Mike Volts and company down there are pretty yeah. amazing sounding guitars too for new guitars. Yeah, you know. But there's some when you pick up an old guitar. So I like old Fenders, old Gibsons, uh, the Tweed era, you know, uh, '50s Fender amplifiers, and and the reason I like those better. It's because I don't. I'm not somebody that likes to put a lot of stuff in front of the amp after the guitar pedals, mm-hmm. effects, and things like that. I'd rather just plug into the amplifier with a great sounding guitar and yeah. have an amp that tells the truth. I like to say. Yeah. And then you know, hope for the best. And usually that gives you the most honest. You know. Is there? Are you pretty brand loyal? Is there a particular type of pedal that you swear by? No, the pedals. I don't really. Okay. It's it's sort of like. Um, I look at the pedal world as being the public library or something. Ah, okay. You know, That's it's like good. I need a I need a book on distortion today. So, <laughs> so I mean, but I can go. I've got yeah. a shelf yeah. in the closet full yeah. of. You know, I'll go get the Klon if I'm playing through yeah. a Marshall. Yeah. Or I might get a way huge uh, triple overdrive if I'm playing through the little Tweed amp. So it's just it's crazy. Yeah, the it's, world of pedals yeah. is like. I mean, Just, I might as well be flying an airplane. When I look at a, gar- a guitar player's setup, especially the ones that are that that you know more is more. Are you a, you see, well, you strike me as a less is more guy? Well, but here's something else too, though. You, you know, as soon as you put Velcro on it, it's like you're committed to something. <laughs> and and so, but I you know, it's hit me recently that because um, there's so much you know publications, guitar player, bass player, all these different magazines that drive towards you know the guitar player with mm-hmm. this mentality have you found your signature tone right right have right you found your tone that's you know? kind of that's the, right, the, so the, the get, question you always yeah, ask so them. you're always yeah. on this quest for this holy grail of tone or whatever and then i think okay who do i love the beatles yeah did they have a signature guitar tone no and i read jeff emmerich's book and it's like every time they would go to record a guitar solo the very first thing out of their mouths would be it can't sound like anything we've ever done before Ah. So that's not, have you found your signature tone? No. That's, if you have, then, oh, you got to change it. Yeah. You've got to change Keep it. Keep everybody because, guessing. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, so there's that, too. It's like, mm-hmm. that'd be like saying, have you found your signature chorus? <laughs> 
yeah, lyrically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I got gotcha. one for that song, but yeah. you're going to have a different one. So I kind of, you know. Unless you're Maroon 5. But other than that, okay, I oh, said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there any piece of gear that you'd never get rid of? Like you've had it pretty much since the Lord was in high okay, school. Well, and I never mean, obviously my dad's guitar. Yeah, right, obviously. But I mean, Harold Bradley <clears throat> gave me a, an old tape. Maestro Echoplex tube model. He gave it to me. I was in college and it was, uh, I mean, it actually has tape that moves with record head, movable record head, and a playback head that's fixed. Okay, that's so it's, crazy. It's a tape machine yeah. to plug instrument through and have repeats. And so all the And he just gave it to you. Like when you hear Zeppelin's first album, yeah. you're listening to Echoplexes, you know. And, oh. I mean Van Halen used an Echoplex. I love all the things I learned on this job. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> but it, it was just, you know, because everybody, especially coming out of the fifties, wanted that slap back, you know, on for the rockabilly stuff. So you want it on the vocal, you would want it on the guitar, electric guitar. And so Maestro made this thing and I actually met the man that designed it, a guy named Mike Battle. Uh-huh. And he's gone now, but his grandson-in-law, uh, Bart Postalwake, lives in Ohio and can work on them if anybody has those units and needs any. And cheers to Ohio. Yes. Thank you. Thank okay. you very much. Yep. But yeah. Bart, Bart's a good man, and I, that's a piece of gear that will stay with me, and it bears repeating. <laughs> Where in Ohio? Uh, well, Bart's somewhere near Columbus area. I can't remember uh, the, the name of the town. Oh, okay. I've not been to his town. He okay. comes down here. Okay. And then I had he came over to one of the Frampton shows we did up there. Maybe near Columbus. Okay, I, I know Peter used to live in Cincinnati. Or he lived he... in Cincinnati for a number of years. Yeah, from about 2000 or 01 to 2012, and now he's back here. Yeah, good. <laughs> but I mean, that's a precious piece of gear to me. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, other than the guitars themselves, you know, certain guitars that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. I, everything else is sort of. Yeah. Well, um, after having been in the business as long as you have, and I think you've kind of you've kind of touched on this, but where do you still see yourself as a student? Because I know that you you also teach, um, uh, well, or you give seminars. You do seminars. Well, I just go and speak. Yeah. About songwriting, they mm-hmm. may want me to talk songwriting one day. Okay. I'm actually going to go give the commencement exercise in June for the Nashville Art Institute. Well, I am scared of you. No, I mean, Go ahead, brother. I I think that's awesome. I was going to ask you, uh, what should I do? (laughs) Always leave with a joke. But I'm just saying, (laughs) well, I think that's why they got me there. (laughs) Stop it. No, I mean, I'm I'm still, you know, I'll go and speak whenever somebody wants to hear. And mainly it's more like, I feel like what I have to offer is not instruction as mm-hmm. much as just a story yes. that can people can relate to and also be encouraged by because I can tell you for every I mean, everything that you point to in my bio that is a success uh-huh. I can tell you that didn't happen so easily right you know um, you know a lot of times when people say how long did it take you to write that song and the answer these days would be my whole life yeah it's taken my whole well, life just, to, yeah and i think you know how to do that your your overnight success came in oh, like yeah, you know 20 saying. 20 30 year increments it's That's just right. it's been a 20 year night so yeah i it just i think well which actually this leads me to another question what would you tell your teenage self now about playing guitar and being in the music business wow never thought about that I, I, one of my favorite brad paisley songs is if i could write a letter to me Okay, I love that. Well, song. no, it's a great, yeah, it's a great, great song. Question. So, if you could, if you could, if you could talk to your teenage self, I would spare myself ever using the phrase "you failed." Okay, 
That's good. Go. Because, because I, I have said that to myself, uh-huh. you know, and along the way, because I'm putting it into the the parameters of what constitutes a success and the goal in my mind. Um, gosh, somebody else, and again, I don't know who I'm quoting here, but somebody likened, um, you know, pick out a bullseye on a target and mm-hmm. taking an arrow and shooting Mm-hmm. Trying to hit that bullseye, yeah, and then you miss it, yeah, and then you go, well, whoops, I failed, yeah. But <clears throat> somebody said, no, what you do is you take the best arrow that you can get, the best mm-hmm. bow. I mean, whatever these things are that we yes. call that help us with our gifts and whatever that is, and take your best shot, and where that lands, that arrow, yeah, go there and paint the bullseye around that okay. where it, where it landed. So I've seen this happen in my life so many times to the point of where, like I said, I would tell my young self, don't ever, ever think you failed, as long as you're doing something. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a man who's a wonderful friend of mine, World War II veteran. He was a coach at BA, uh, Jimmy Gentry. Mm-hmm. Gentry's Farm in Franklin. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. This is Mr. Gentry. Okay. He and I have the same birthday, but he's 92. <laughs> okay. And he said one day, uh, he said, I, he said, I don't know where I got this, but then again, I think I do. He said, <laughs> but he said, it's this. He said, know where you belong, work hard, and when something needs to be done, God will know where to find you. And what that means to me is know where you belong, know what you're good at, mm-hmm. know what your gifts are, yeah. work hard. Don't just sit there and wait for somebody to come knocking on the door and give you the it doesn't have sweepstakes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when something needs to be done, God will know where to find you. In other words, you won't have to be moved very far to answer the bell for that. Yeah. So when somebody says, can you go to Seattle the end of this month to play for St. Jude's, I'm ready to go right now. Right. I'm ready to go right now. That's good. Um, That's good. But if somebody said, can you go perform a surgery at St. Jude's, I would go, ooh, this is not my expertise. No, and, the, and the, <laughs> that path is going to be a long and winding, you know, gotcha. situation. So, but I mean, it's know where you belong. Yeah. And so I would tell my young self that. Yeah, know where you belong. Mm-hmm. Work, work hard, hard, and when something, something he's doing, God knows where to find you. He knows you. where to find you. He knows right where you are. You're where you're supposed to be. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you have no idea how much I actually needed to hear that today. So praise God. <laughs> All right. Well. This is a question that just kind of popped into my head um, last week when I was uh, speaking with uh, another artist, Dave Cleveland, and I think I'm going to just start asking some version of this question to every person that comes into this studio. What is the one thing about guitar? Because Bob Babbitt, the late, great Bob Babbitt, told me, kid, (laughs) you got to find something that satisfies your soul. Yeah. You know, and I know that you are a man of faith, and I know that Christ satisfies your soul. Got that. That's a given. But your that that artistic because every good and perfect gift comes mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the Father of Heavenly Light. So I would love to know what it is what it is about guitar that satisfies your artistic soul. That thing that you know you what is it? he gets you up in the morning. He gives you something to play. What's what's going on in your in your heart when you know the cylinders are clicking and every, and and just something's coming out of you? It may be a, the next single or maybe just something that you play for yourself. It's 
Uh, there's, I don't know, a lot of different directions I could go there, but I think that it centers on the fact that I think we're all creative mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, just by the sheer fact that we are created mm-hmm. in His image, He mm-hmm. says. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's innate in us mm-hmm. to want to create. I mean, the ultimate creator, if we're created in His image, well, it stands to reason. Okay, yeah. And and the fact that He could take confusion, chaos, swirling nothingness and make all of this mm-hmm. out of that, then what why are we why would we ever feel limited with a blank piece of paper, a blank screen, a guitar that's just lying there right now, not doing anything, you know, but the desire to create, mm-hmm. to be creative and express. I mean this is in us. Yeah. It's in us, you know, and I tell people, I say some of for some of you it's it's to create, you know, that painting on the wall there or or a meal mm-hmm. for somebody to enjoy. You know, I had a great meal at my dad's house last night. Dolores made this. I mean, and we went to a restaurant today. I said, yours was better. <laughs> you know, but I mean, the, to create something that people will enjoy. Uh, uh, I say um, uh, a defense in a court of law or an offense for mm-hmm. a football team, mm-hmm. whatever. This, these are creative minds mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. always, you know, uh, what can we do that's different? Yeah. You know, how can we do something new? Yeah. Something exciting or something, like you said, that satisfies the soul, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it's it's amazing to have a soul that wants to be satisfied and mm-hmm. then a soul capable of taking care of that same situation. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, the desire to create, you know, that the thing about the guitar is... You know, and again, a while ago, I said that thing about if we don't praise God, you know, well, there's something about, you know, putting your fingers to this piece of wood mm-hmm. and pressing your fingers there mm-hmm. and having music, which if you go and look at like what Pythagoras said about music and how it relates to the creation of the universe. Yeah. The harmonic structure yeah. is actually in tune with the creation of the universe. Yeah. The sun emits a tone. Yes. So there's sound everywhere. Yeah. And the little bits of nuggets of gold I hear about or read about that people have gone and come back mm-hmm. to, you know, mm-hmm. died and mm-hmm. been brought back or whatever, mm-hmm. and what they talk about hearing. Yeah. You know, that everything there makes music. Yeah. Everything. And or or uh, the Don Piper book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, mm-hmm. he talked about because he was gone for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he said, just when you think that the most exciting thing about being in heaven is being reunited with family and friends, he said, then I heard the music. Mm. And he said, there is nothing in our vernacular that can describe what I heard. He said, I, he said, I wake up, some mornings I wake up and think I hear faint versions of it, and then it goes away real quick. He said, but I can't even describe it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, if you had, what did he say, five people in the room, playing different songs at the same time, it would be nuts, you know. He said, but I could hear and distinguish wow. a thousand different songs playing at the same time, hmm. all working together. Wow. So there's something different there, mm-hmm. but I think that every once in a while, you know, I will pick up a guitar or I'll hear it in a voice. I'll mm-hmm. hear it in a voice, too. Mm-hmm. You've ever been moved to tears? Oh, yeah. By the sound of a voice? Yeah. I mean, when Aretha got up and did Nessun Nessa Dorma. Dorma, shut up. Okay. Seriously. Okay. Seriously. But every once in a while, I hear something like that. Yeah. Or I'll hear even Jeff Beck, of all people. Yeah. With a Stratocaster. Yeah. Do something. And then I think at that moment, we are catching just a little glimpse of what it's like later. Yeah. Or maybe it's... Um, 
I even had somebody tell me one time because I was even just reading a poem or reciting a poem that a friend of mine that I went to high school with who passed away from muscular dystrophy mm-hmm. had they found in his room after he passed away. There's a poem about him understanding his place in life, mm-hmm. that position that he was in and wasn't good, you know. But his very mature God's perspective on that, and mm-hmm. it'll make you cry to read it. And I said, I was trying to just recite some of it in front of an audience at a church one night and completely broke yeah. down. Yeah. And it never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. And I told a pastor friend of mine afterwards, I said, I don't know what happened to me. He goes, I know what happened. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, tell me, enlighten me. You know, he said, well, in that moment, mm-hmm. God was allowing you to see his heart for Chris. That's cool. And so I just think that there are certain things that we can experience on this side mm-hmm. that are just a little glimpse, small sma- snapshot of what is to follow. Yeah. That he lets us kind of like just lets us little have a little peek. That's good. You know. And um, so this is definitely something that I don't know. I just feel like that's yeah. kind of hooking into that yeah. um, that line a little bit. I love it. So what's next for you? I know you got um, a lot going on, but uh, what's what's on the horizon? Well, um, you know, Skaggs and I are talking about doing a sequel to Mosaic. Okay. Peter and I just started writing some new songs, so we'll be doing another album at some point. Um, he's out touring right now. Yeah. Gibson Guitars, uh, we are doing a Jerry Kennedy Pretty Woman 335. They're going to build 50 of them oh. with the custom-made levers yeah. and the scratches, copy them, you know. Yeah. So they'll do 50 of those guitars. I can't wait for that. That should be any minute now hopefully um there's all i mean there's i call it an extravaganza per day mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah there's something every day yeah uh, i am going to seattle for st jude soon mm-hmm. um i'm going to go down to the kitchen in green hills and play for the the women who come and volunteer to make food for cancer patients awesome. that are delivered to them called uh, meals for health and mm-hmm. kathy heimerdinger mm-hmm. the heimerdinger foundation yes always doing stuff like that whatever they let me do yeah and um, where can someone who is not familiar with your work I don't know who that might be but where could somebody find out more about you do you have a website you know I don't really are, are you, are you, I, I don't have are, I, there's a Gordon Kennedy Nashville yeah. on Facebook or something but yeah. I don't Yeah, I don't really keep up and, and do that stuff very much um, every once in a while somebody will say you know you should put that show date yeah on there and so I'll go okay because yeah. I, I play in a Beatle band right called Mystery Trip mm-hmm. and we just started a Tom Petty cover band with some incredible players very cool oh my gosh and also have just started a project with Brady Seals who was in Little Texas yes but he's related to Seals and Crofts yeah okay. England Dan also and, okay yeah Troy Seals songwriter okay so Brady's part of that family and yeah. then Lua Crofts Dash's daughter Awesome. So we're going to do a little duet project on them. Okay. And cover some of their family history in music and some new songs. But that's something that's that's uh, come up here recently. Um, gosh, I, I don't know. Just there's just a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah, what, yeah. yeah. Just just Google Gordon Kennedy seriously, and then you'll get like pretty much his whole life. Well, <laughs> you know, look and look. You know, come so, come see me at the Bluebird and yeah. things like that. I really do. I was telling my wife this morning. I said, you know, I'm looking at the last decade of my life and thinking I'm kind of over I'm like prepared for hunting bear as far as electric guitars <laughs> but I said you know the, those bears have kind of gone you know I do mostly acoustic stuff these yeah. days because I do more performing songwriter things yes. so um, 
because we, we were just talking about the acoustic guitar and, and our son plays mandolin and wants to build them and oh cool yeah Dylan he's he's a great mandolin player you should bring him by here sometime and have him talk to Joel I mean because Joel oh, yeah that oh. I'm telling you I would yeah just does he build I, he refurbs okay well then Dylan would like to come meet him yeah I would imagine he would I would that would that needs to happen yeah Joel's uh, Joel is the 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 he's he's Dylan. the man behind the curtain okay <laughs> well tell me Dylan plays he got the mandolin because he you could play Bach on it. He's playing Bach on mandolin. Okay. Cello suite on mandolin. Nice. So, but yeah, he would love to come meet him. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I think it, just give me a shout. You've got, okay. yeah, you got my contact info. I'll, I'll set it up. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I, I know your son would love it. And, oh, uh, and I'm Joel's, sure. Joel's cool. Like I said, he's the, the man behind the curtain, making sure everything uh, sounds good when it gets shipped out of here. So, right. well, listen, um, Let's have a little fun, shall we? I have this thing I call my little audio Rorschach test. It's just a little, just no thought required. It's a game we call Take Your Pick. I'm going to give you two things. You it, you pick either this or that. It's that's and just say either this or that and nothing else. Just say this or that. Well, I if you're like anybody else that's walked in here, you're not going to be able to say just this or that. So let's let's just roll with it and see what happens. Okay. Can <laughs> just, I, can let's I have say some fun. Pass? No. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's see what And there got. are certain answers that will you know might be deemed as accept, acceptable. You just don't know. I mean, but, but am right. I explaining these answers or just giving you the answers? Just give me the All answers. Right. All right. So the answer. first one's easy. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Um, guitar strings, 10s or 11s? 10s. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Coffee or tea? Tea. Okay, there you go. Well, <laughs> if I can't if I can't say anything, I would drink coffee if it was a liquid donut, like a ah, mochas and things. Yeah. I do like those. Yeah, you like you, you, yeah. You're more like I like the smell of coffee, but the actual consumption. I can't it. tell the difference between a dead skunk and a coffee brewing. You know what? I'm kind of with you on okay. that. Yet uh, I will still. Boy, did yeah. I get off the? Yeah, that's all right. All right. <laughs> no, I actually understood. What's really scary is I actually understood that because yeah. I'm with you. Okay. All right, so amps, Fenders, or Boss, or Marshall. Sorry. Um, Fender. Okay. For these days, just yeah. For, for these, these days. Toothpaste, middle of the tube or from the bottom. Bottom. My man, my man, help me out. Help a sister out. Of course. I'm serious. We got toothpaste from Costco. My husband has not only proceeded uh, to open like three different tubes. They're all since usually from the middle. Around. No. Okay. Well, no. That's interesting. No. All right. Bless his little heart. He knows it. He know. I throw him under the bus every time I ask somebody this question. All right. All right. Dream guitar teacher, Hendrix or Stevie Ray? Hendrix. Uh, live or studio? <laughs> is this a preference yeah okay preference do I prefer live or studio yes is also an acceptable well, answer just yeah. <laughs> my gosh studio okay <laughs> For, yeah. I was going to say you almost hurt yourself no, on we that we need one. to have a whole interview <laughs> yeah. about just that question just that question hey 4am get up or go to bed I would rather go to bed at 4 a.m. Okay, and finally, guitar riff. Smoke on the Water or Purple Haze? Purple Haze. I'm in a really purple frame of mind today. You got, my husband pointed that out. He's like, really? You're all about some purple today. Purple yeah. Haze, 
smoke on the water, but deep purple. It's all, yeah. Yeah, you got a theme. Well, I'm nothing if not clever. Um, Well, we want to thank you so much for taking time to be a part of this. I'm just so thankful because yours is a history that our our listeners really need to hear. And I'm just so thrilled you took time to, to come and hang out with us. Well, it's been my pleasure, Marcia. And I also want to thank NashvilleGuitarStore.com for having me. Thank you. Yay! All right. Dedicated to bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. To hear more, subscribe to the Nashville Guitar Store podcast in iTunes. Go to NashvilleGuitarStore.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram.